Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. The Old Testament book of Zechariah and Zechariah and chapter number 4. The book of Zechariah and chapter number 4. We, of course, are continuing with our series of the Minor Prophets. In fact, closing it down. After tonight, there are only two more messages remaining in this series. And we have done a survey, a quick glance through all 12 of them by the time we finish up next week. And we are so thankful for the opportunity. And hopefully, you have grown to have more of appreciation for these this wonderful section of the Bible, 12 neglected books that they may be minor in size, but they have powerful messages, including the one that we'll see tonight. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, the second to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, and we now find our way in chapter number four. The book of Zechariah and chapter number four and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 11. Zechariah chapter 4, and in verse number 11, the Bible says this. Then answered I, and said unto him, What are these two olive trees, upon the right side of the candlestick, and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again, and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me, and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Zechariah chapter number 4? The book of Zechariah chapter 4, notice with me in verse 14. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 14, notice with me the phrase, the two anointed ones. The two anointed ones. And with the Lord's help, we would like to preach a message concerning these two anointed ones. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And now as we open up this passage here, that you would help us to get a better understanding, that we could see that you're a God who knows the end from the beginning, you know what you're doing, and that you're a God of great power. I'm asking that you would guide us by your Spirit, and that you would help us even now. With me, my mind, I'm asking that you would take it, that you would get your own work accomplished, that you would help me not to be a hindrance, Lord, but that you could use me in spite of myself. I'm thankful for what a great God that you are and that you're trustworthy. Open up these passages in a special way and draw us close to you because of whom you are. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember the context of the book of Zechariah and the book of Haggai is that the people have returned back to Jerusalem. And as they returned back to Jerusalem, they were tasked by God to rebuild the temple. And so they did for a while. They laid the foundation, had a great celebration. But because of hardship, because things were just too difficult, because of oppression, because of other things, they stopped. 
And they neglected God's house for 15 years. And now God is using two preachers to preach the word of God and to declare unto them that it is time for them to rise up and work. Haggai is a lot more direct. You go build now. Stop making excuses. Clean, serve God with clean hands. Start serving God. He's got promises for you. Whereas Zechariah has a lot more visions to try to encourage the people along. And with this, we see a strange passage in the book of Zechariah chapter number 4. In Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 11, Zechariah now has another vision. And notice with me in verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and on the left side? Now the candlestick is dealing with the idea inside of the tabernacle temple. He's having a vision of the tabernacle temple. And he has seen the candlestick, which is a huge uh, piece of furniture inside of the tabernacle. And the, <coughs> the candlestick would burn off of oil. And here there's a contraption connected to it that there were two golden pipes emptying the golden oil out of themselves. So here is this, the branches there. Then you have a contraption where it's continually feeding oil. And then the way that it is set up is that the oil will continue to run through it and never run out. And it was to show a picture. Remember, oil is often used as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is feeding into this candle over and over and over. And that it is continually to be fed by the oil. Which, by the way, is how we are supposed to be. We're supposed to live our life continually being controlled and run and empowered by God's Spirit. That earlier God had spoke about in verse number 6. Then he answered and spoke unto me. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That we understand that if we're going to serve God the way that we ought to, whether it's in leadership, whether it's another task, that we cannot do God's work ourselves. It must be done by God's spirit. And we must continually be powered by God's spirit. Now with this, he continues on. And he's, uh, this angel is giving Zerubbabel a tour through this vision. Says, uh, and um, this... Zechariah is asked several times, what is this? What do you mean? Don't you know? No, what is this? And finally he answers in verse 14. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And then notice, period. Then as it goes into chapter 5, it's a brand new vision. What in the world is this? It just kind of leaves the people hanging. What is this speaking about? Well, remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. It just so happens that these two witnesses show up once again, and this time at the very end of time, turn with me, if you don't mind, the book of Revelation, chapter number 11. The book of Revelation, chapter number 11. And we run into these two witnesses that was referred to. Now, in the book of Zechariah, it's talking about that Here's an instrument that is continually being fed by God's Spirit. Over and over fed by God's Spirit. Powered by God's Spirit. And he's having this vision here of these two witnesses. These people who have great power because they are fed by God's Spirit. We are now come to the interpretation of where these two witnesses show up in the book of Revelation chapter number 11. And with this... 
I would like to speak to you and preach to you from the book of Revelation chapter 11 about these two witnesses. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is their ministry. Their ministry. Notice with me in verse number 3. Revelation 11 and verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Hey, by the way, that's exactly what was speaking about in Zechariah. That God is empowering these two witnesses by His Spirit. And it is God's power, not by their strength, not by their might, but by God's power and God's might. Notice this. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So here it says in this time of what we would call the tribulation that these two witnesses are going to be preaching. And it says exactly how long they're going to be preaching. A thousand two hundred and threescore days. Well for those of you who like consolidated math, that's 42 months. Or if we can consolidate that a little bit more, that's three and a half years. So for three and a half years, you're going to have these two witnesses that are strengthened and fueled by God's power, by God's spirit, by God's might. And God is going to use these two witnesses inside of this tribulation period. What is it that they are doing? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number four. And these are the two candlesticks are two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. Again, exactly what Zechariah had said. So what are these candlesticks? Well, here in the context, it's speaking about these two people are going to be outside of the building site in Jerusalem as the temple is being rebuilt. And these two witnesses for the space of three years, they are going to be preaching God's word by God's spirit outside of the city or outside of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And they are preaching. Notice in verse number five as it goes on. And if any man will hurt them, Fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now in verse 5, it comes that if any man hurt them. So here are two preachers, minding their own business, or minding on God's own business, preaching in Jerusalem, and they're preaching for three and a half years. And as they preach, every once in a while, someone is going to get upset with them. You may say, oh, preacher. Someone will get mad at a preacher. Someone will get mad at someone declaring God's word. And the answer is yes. In fact, someone just this last week asked me about it. Do people get mad at preachers? Yes, absolutely yes. You say, why? Well, the problem is, is that the preachers are just the messenger boys. And the people do not like the message. You see, every time the word of God is preached, people have to respond to it. And by the way, everyone likes the preacher until the preacher preaches on your sin. And now you have to do something with it. You either have to listen and obey the message, or in your mind, you have to some way come with a way to discount the message. And so the old adage is, is whenever things go wrong, blame the preacher. When the preacher preaches a message that you don't like, you either have to obey or figure some way of what, why the preacher is wrong. Someone once said this, that whenever you throw uh, a rock into a pack of dogs, the dog that yelps is the one that got hit. 
May I illustrate this? If the preacher preaches against alcohol and preaches against that God is against liquor, the people who will come up to preacher afterwards and say, Preacher, I have a problem with you. You know why they have a problem? Because they've been drinking. Does that make sense? The people who aren't drinking don't have a problem with that message. If the preacher preaches against lying, let me tell you, God hates lying. He hates big lies and he hates small lies. Don't lie. Be honest. Be forthright. Someone comes up afterwards and says, Preacher, I have a problem with your message. You know why they have a problem with the message? Because they have an issue with the line. Does it make sense? Now, I'm just throwing out things. I could keep going. But you understand, everyone likes the preacher until he preaches on their sin. Then they have to decide, do I listen to the message and change my ways? Or do I somehow figure a way to make the preacher to blame? In fact, all throughout scripture, you'll find that the preacher has always been the one who has been blamed. In fact, there was a time in Israel's history where the enemy army surrounded the city and they besieged it. They wouldn't let deliveries in. They wouldn't let things out. And the people began to starve. And it became so bad that mothers were cannibalizing their own children. So when that news came to the king, the king said, you know what? I know what the problem is. It's the preacher. Let's go kill him and then all of this will be ended. What was the preacher the problem? No, he's starving next to everyone else. But you'll see that repeated over and over and over. So imagine this scene. The rapture has taken place, and when the rapture takes place, everyone who is saved, who knows Jesus as their Savior, is taken away. What does that leave on the earth? Everyone who is not saved. So God brings two preachers in the midst of Jerusalem to preach against their sin, and you're surrounded by people who are not saved. Do you think they're going to appreciate the message? No, they're not. And so the next thing you know is that some people, in order to get the preachers to finally shut up, they're going to go attack the preacher. They're going to go try to harm the preacher. Notice again what happens in verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire will proceed out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now you say, well, wait a second. Well, remember that we always take the Bible literally as far as we can, even in pictorial language. And so here we understand there's pictorial language, but there's a reality to it. That the preacher is going to cause fire to rain down on anyone that try to attack him. You say, well, listen here. Is that even possible? Has it been done? Well, you could always go to a little book called Second Kings in chapter number 2. And you could see the man of God of Elijah sitting on a hilltop. Minding his own business when the king said, you know what? It's the preacher's fault. Here, you, you're the captain of 50. I want you to go take your 50 men and go get him. And so the captain of the 50 went up to go get Elijah, who's sitting on top of the hill. Elijah sees him coming down. God, he prays and fire rains down and kills the 50. Well, the king said, it's still the preacher's fault. He went to get another captain of the 50. You take your 50, go arrest him. Yes, sir. And so that 50 uh, comes up and Elijah sees him, prays down fire, whoosh, wipes them all out. The king says, it's definitely the preacher's fault. You take your 50 and go up. How would you like to be the third guy? And so that captain comes up, gets his guys and says, boys, do what I do. 
He goes up to the hill and says, oh, please don't kill us. We're just doing what we're told. And Elijah says, I'll go with you. Okay, that's good. And he brings him down. And so has it been where someone tried to attack the preacher before and fire rained down? Absolutely. By the prophet by the name of Elijah who had the power of fire. And anyone who attacked these two witnesses, they would be burnt with fire. And so that would cause a pretty much of a ruckus, right? If you saw someone attacking the preacher and fire came down and you're an atheist and he's an atheist and there's an atheist and that guy who just died was an atheist. Do you think that you're going to be happy with the preachers or do you think that you're going to be upset with the preachers? Probably going to be pretty upset. And so the protest began. Atheist lives matter. Atheist lives matter. And so they're protesting the idea that this preacher rained down fire. And that they need to stop preaching. And they're messing with our lives. And how dare they kill someone. He should stand there and not defend himself at all. And so the protest began. Three and a half years this goes on. But it's not over yet. Notice with me in verse number six. And these, these two prophets, have power to shut heaven. And it rained not in the days of their prophecy. By the way, how long was that? Three and a half years. For three and a half years, while they're preaching, it doesn't rain. Hey, they can never be rained out of their spot. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as... As they will. Now has that ever happened in biblical times? Has that ever happened where God used a man. A prophet. To bring plagues. Including to turn blood. Or water into blood. And to make it so that even if you took. uh, A pitcher that you had saved with water. And poured it out. That it would be blood as well. Has there ever been a time in biblical history. Where God used a prophet to spring plagues. Upon people to get their attention? Absolutely. And of course, that prophet would be the prophet Moses used of God. And so you have these two witnesses. And as they preach, there are going to be people that have a problem with them. And so anyone that tries to attack the prophet, fire would come down and they get wasted. And it's a very public display. It's not a private display. It's not a thing where a guy just has a heart attack or he just has an accident. No, fire comes from heaven, which is pretty unexplainable. And then just to get the other people's attention, plagues happen all around them. And they're the ones that are used by God's spirit to control them. And plague after plague for three and a half years. This is a major display that's occurring. And by the way, the protest build. A crowd builds. People have come from all around the world now to jeer at the preachers. To laugh at the preachers. To protest the preachers. To silence the preachers. To rally up a cause. To get them to be quiet. And to stop preaching this message. How dare they preach such a thing. And so thus we come to their ministry. The ministry of these prophets. By the way, some people said, what is the identity of the prophets? Where do they come from? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do know that there was a man by the name of Elijah who was used to see fire come down. And we do know that there was a man by the name of Moses who God had used to have 
control over plagues, including turning water into blood. And it just so happens that when Jesus was at the Mount of Transfiguration, that he had a long talk with two prophets by the name of Elijah and Moses. We don't know for sure, but since we already know that Elijah and Moses had appeared after they died and talked with Moses, couldn't or talked with Jesus, isn't it also possible that God could also bring them all the way down to earth and allow them to be used to be two witnesses for two and a half or three and a half years, preaching to the other atheists unflinchingly, knowing that God's power works as God is continually powering them by their spirit? And so we start off with their ministry, which now brings us to a second thing. Their murder. Their murder. Now for three and a half years, man has tried to murder them. They've tried to silence them. They've tried to protest against them. They've tried to do anything and it hasn't worked. But notice what does work in verse number seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, meaning that the two and a half, or three and a half years is done, God says, all right, you're good. Now things can happen. The beast, this is speaking about Satan now, that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Notice this. There's going to be a war against them. They're, they're going to, he's going to mobilize everyone and he is going to do everything he can to fight against them. And by the way, Satan does have power and he eventually overcomes them and he kills them. Can you imagine what it would be like to finally see these two troublemakers die on the street? What happens now? Verse number 8. And their dead bodies, these two witnesses, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. This is Jerusalem. But notice what God descriptively calls it, which is spiritually, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Just in case you didn't know what city it was, he gives you the hint. But it is spiritually calling it Sodom. The idea of Sodom, it carries the idea that they're so sexually perverted. They have so many sins. It'd be equivalent for us saying, you know what, that's Las Vegas. And then talking about Egypt. Egypt is always a picture of the world. So Jerusalem, because of its deal with the Antichrist, because there are no saved people left, because they've rejected God, that they have become corrupt as corrupt can be. And God says, I've been giving them for three and a half years. I've been telling them to preach the message. And by the way, no one appreciates the message. They've tried to kill the messenger and it just made it worse. There's protest everywhere. This city, it's, it is Sodom. It is Egypt. It's Vegas. It is just horribly corrupt. It's Jerusalem. Notice it goes on in verse 9. And they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations did see their dead bodies three and a, days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Now notice verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations. All of these people are going to see them dead. Now let me take a pause here. Now, when I'm going through this story and you're seeing the two prophets preaching, what do you have in your mind? Do you have people in robes and sandals and you could see donkeys coming by? Well, get that image out of your head. This is in the future. And in the future, they're going to be dressed like we are. And by the way, in the future after the rapture happens, do you think CNN is still going to exist? Yep. 
Do you think after the rapture and all the Christians are got away and all those who are saved, CNBC is still going to be here? Yep. Do you think that when the rapture happens, all the Christians, all the believers are taken away, Fox News is still going to exist? Yep. And the satellites are still going to be in orbit and it's all going to work. And don't you think that's going to be some big news? I meant fire coming from heaven, that's enough to get a news crew out. And for three and a half years, don't you think they have a news crew there? We are live on scene and we're doing <clears throat> another report on these peaceful protests against these preachers who are trying to kill all of these innocent people that are doing that. After watching the last couple of years, don't you think the news report will go like that? And so you have the news uh, reports that are broadcasting worldwide. Now, news is now an entertainment thing. And entertainment means ratings. If you're watching on camera, live TV, fire coming from the sky, don't you think people will be watching that cable network? Don't you think that if water was turning into blood and people doing a reaction, that absolutely that would be on TV? If darkness came and you were recording the darkness, don't you think it would come? You, you understand? Everyone's out there. Don't you think that more protesters would come out? If, now this is a big deal because it's building a big crowd. And I'm going to show you that in a second. A huge crowd has come up to protest these preachers. A huge crowd. Every once in a while someone would rush at the preacher and fire would come down. You would see the news people recording on this. Three and a half years. And don't you think as soon as those troublesome, meddlesome, problemsome preachers died. That wouldn't be the headline news around the world at that time. Absolutely. By the way, God's a good God and he knows how people work. And he's planned for this, by the way. You know that God even knows how to use cable network for his glory and his honor. And so here are these people. The people and kindreds and tongues and nations. All of them around the world shall see the dead bodies three days and a half. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So for three and a half days, those bodies are going to lay there. No one's going to touch them. In fact, a party is broken out. Instead of the protest, they're having a big party. I'll show you that in a second. But they're celebrating and they're cheering. And the news cable people are there. And they're recording the bodies. No one's touching them. They're seeing the dancing on the street. People are celebrating. The troublesome, meddlesome, horrible preacher is dead. And they have it recorded. And they're celebrating. And they're excited. Verse number 10, and they that dwell upon the earth. Notice this, it's not they that dwell in Jerusalem, not they that were visiting in Jerusalem, but they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts one to another because those two troublesome, meddlesome, horrible, awful preachers, the two prophets tormented them. That dwelt on the earth. You know what's going to happen as the news people are there? And the two prophets die. They're going to party. It's going to be like Christmas. They start exchanging gifts. It's the preacher is dead day. And people are celebrating. Those troublesome preachers. They were no good. All they did was make our lives miserable. Our life is better off without them. And the entire world is celebrating. 
It doesn't matter if they're in Jerusalem, if they're in India, or if they're in England, or if they're in South Africa. They're all celebrating watching these events. Glad that these troublesome preachers are gone. The ratings are up. They're watching everything that's happened. Here is their murder. And everybody is celebrating for days afterwards. They're finally gone. We don't have to worry about plagues anymore. We finally toppled them. We showed them who was boss. We got our way. And everything looks happy for them. Which brings us to one more thing. The miracle. The miracle. Notice with me in verse 11. After three days and a half. The spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood on their feet. And great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now here's the scene. We're live on location, CNN, the newsworthy network. And we are here day three, seeing the, those prophets. They are finally gone. The protests have won. The people are celebrating. There is rejoicing around the world. We saw the fireworks display in China last night. And let me tell you, it was an awesome display. And if you didn't catch it, make sure you catch the replay. Oh, wait, there's something going on. They're rising up. They're standing up. What's going on? And don't you think the world is glued to their TV sets? The people there at Jerusalem, can you imagine? They're celebrating and they're partying. And they watch them stand up. And great fear fell upon them. I mean, for the last three and a half years, they've been raining down fire. Then finally, the protest won. They killed the preachers. Now they're watching him stand up. Don't you think they're a little bit tiny afraid? This is not good. They're in their hearts fearful. The celebration stops around the world. Could you imagine everyone glued to their television? Just stunned silence. They don't even know how to react. They're, they're too stunned to even cry or mourn. They're just, what do you do with this information? It's impossible. And they stand up to their feet. They're all afraid. The whole world's holding their breath. Of what's going to happen now. If they were raining down fire. And sending down plagues. And blocking out the sun. And turning the water. And it hasn't rained. For three years. By the way. Around the entire world. For three years no rain. Don't you think. This is not good. How do we fight against this? How do we win against this? How do we stop this? Notice in verse number 12. And they, everyone who's watching on CNN, everyone who's live on location, the entire world is hearing at once. And they heard a great voice from heaven say unto them, Come up hither. Now, that would be frightening of itself to hear the voice of God speak from heaven and say, boys, come up. What would it be like if you hate God and you hate everything he stands for? You just try to kill God's prophets and then you hear God's voice. Probably not a comforting voice at this time. Come up hither. And then watch what happens. They just stood to their feet. But now, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies 
beheld them. So imagine this. We're live on location. CNN. The world is celebrating. What, what's this? What? They're standing up. And now there's silence as they're just watching the people stand up. People are stunned. They don't know what to say. And then they hear the voice of God. Come up hither. What was that? And then an amazing thing is the world is silent. No one is talking. And they watch as these people just got to their feet. Start lifting up to heaven. Imagine the TV crew looking up. Watching them until they disappear in the clouds. And now they're watching to see if they're going to fall. Do you see them? Are they coming back down? Where are they at? And they're scanning the sky for them. Trying to see where are they at. Quick, call the satellites. Can they get a fix on them? Where, where are they at? Where they go? Imagine that frightening sight. Here's two prophets. For three and a half years preaching a message that no one's liked. For three and a half years, protests have gone against them. Everyone's tried to do everything they could to stop them. When they finally killed them, they celebrated. And now they, they stood back up. Now they're flying. What in the world is this? What are they going to do? We heard the voice of God. Maybe, maybe God is real. If God is real, after everything we just did to his prophets... What's going to happen to us? That's a good question. What does happen to them? Verse 13. And in the same hour. So within 60 minutes of this occurring. Was there a great earthquake. And notice this. The tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain 7,000 men. The men, 7,000. And the remnant were affrighted. And by the way, they gave glory to the God of heaven. Wouldn't you do that too? If you just got through messing with God's preachers. And you were celebrating their death. And now you heard God's voice. You watched them raise up. There was a great earthquake that toppled the tenth of the city. People are dead all over. And you happen to live... Wouldn't you be turning to God and say, God, you know what? I am so sorry. I did not realize that this was real. I, you're, you, only you could do this. I meant, wouldn't you turn to God after that? Wouldn't you say, you know what? Maybe God does exist. Wouldn't you kind of rethink your life and your life choices after all of this? These people gave a fear of God. Now you say, well, this is good and all. What lesson do we take out of here? Well, there's also a lesson that you find throughout the Bible. And that is that God vindicates his man. The Bible is very clear. Do not touch my anointed ones. Don't touch his preacher. You say, well, how do I touch a preacher? It's not like I'm going to sock him in the face, though that's been close to happen before. How in the world do I assault a preacher? Well, let me tell you what the magic word is. Gossip. What is gossip? It's speaking about someone to another person who could do nothing about it. If you speak to someone else about the preacher, can you believe that the preacher spoke on that? I, what is he thinking? That's called gossip. Gossip. 
And God does not tolerate gossip. That's touching God's anointed. You understand, as a preacher, I'm a sinner saved by grace. There is nothing special about me. I didn't get bathed in oil. God didn't do a secret ritual over me. But I hold the office of the messenger of God. And because people do not want to listen to God's message, they will often take it out on the messenger. And God says, listen, it's my message. You should be mad at me, not my messenger. And if you got a problem, you take it out. Now, you say, well, what do I do? Well, remember, submission is not silence, but it's saying the right thing at the right time, at the right place, with the right spirit. For example, if I say something wrong, and that happens from time to time, you know, as a public speaker, I speak more words than most people. That's more chances to stumble and say something wrong. Okay, so we understand the odds are against me. Eventually, I'm going to say something I mess up. We understand that? Does that mean that we burn down his house and kick things? Well, how do you handle that? Well, it could be saying the right thing at the right time at the right place with the right spirit. Meet me in the office afterwards and say, Preacher, you said something tonight. I didn't quite understand. I'm assuming that I misunderstood. Could you explain it to me? Oh, I'd be glad to. Let me help you out. And if I'm wrong, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. Thank you so much for pointing that out. I didn't even realize I said that. Or maybe, you know, as soon as that came out, I knew it was wrong. Thank you for that. And you know what? Things get cleared up very easy. The problem is, is can you believe the preacher would say such a thing? And then you start to play the telephone game and catching everyone. What happens with gossip, by the way, according to the book of Leviticus, gossip is equivalent to murder. Because it's murdering their character. Think about this. Someone does not have a problem with the preacher, but someone does. And the someone with a problem with the preacher talks to the someone that does. Can you believe the preacher did this? I didn't know the preacher did this. Oh yeah, he did this and this and this. Well, the person who did not have a problem with the preacher now has a problem with the preacher. And the next time the preacher tries to help that person... The person is not going to listen to the preacher because he already has reasons not to. And the preacher is not going to be able to help him. You know, it becomes worse in families. Now, you may not believe this, but sometimes after a message, people will go home and have roast preacher. That what they'll do is they'll go home and say, can you believe the preacher said this? And the preacher did this. And the most horrible thing is that parents will say this in front of their children. And their children will hear their parents say that the preacher can't be trusted. So when the preacher tries to help the child later on, or the parent says, can you help my child? The child won't listen to the preacher. Because he has an ought. He has a reason not to listen to it. You understand that gossip is such a dangerous thing. And it is the way to touch God's anointed. And by the way, God will vindicate his preacher. It will turn out where... God will say, see, the preacher was right. But how many people suffered needlessly because they had an ought against the preacher? They had a reason not to listen. Now, again, I am not proclaiming that preachers or pastors or me are perfect and beyond reproach. What I am saying is that God has placed something on the office because if we are preaching God's word properly, we are delivering his message, not my message. This is why we preach the Bible and not my thoughts and my opinions. And therefore, if the problem happens where people don't like the message, their problem is with the Lord and not me.
And they need to take it up with God. All I am is the messenger boy. You understand that this is a dangerous thing. Now, I'm assuming we have a good time here that at the moment, as far as I know, that none of you have an odd against me. And if you do, you know what? Let's get that taken care of and let's get it fixed so we can move on together. But I also have to warn you that gossip is the accepted sin of the church. Meaning in most churches, gossip is never dealt with. And yet it is one of the most dangerous sins that float about. You say, how do I deal with it if I hear someone comes to me and said, did you hear what the preacher did? How do I respond to that? Well, let me teach you. You say, I can see that's a very valid concern. Let's go together. Let's go talk to preacher. Preacher, they have something to talk to you about. You say, well, they don't like that. But you know what? Even if they don't get right, they'll never come to you again. You see, people throw garbage into any open container. And as long as you're open for it, they'll continue to dump garbage there. You say, how do we deal with it? Well, bring it to pastor. If it's something that can be handled, it should be brought to his attention and let him have the opportunity to fix it. You say, well, what if it's not at church? That's good. Hey, you know what? I can see that's a good concern. Let's call pastor up and let's see if we could fix this. I'm trying to teach you. You say, well, they're not going to get fixed. Yes, but if nothing else, they will not come to you with that matter ever again. And that you will not receive that gossip. You're protecting yourself as well as letting people know that we're not messing with the preacher. If they have a problem, they need to go talk to him and get it sorted out. Because we want to be helped by God's message and not allow the messenger to be in the way of the message. Does this make sense? God takes this very seriously, as we could see in this passage here. Can you imagine what it would be like? Aren't you glad we're going to be in heaven, for those of you who accepted Christ as your Savior? We get to watch this from the comfort of our recliners or whatever we have up in heaven. And uh, since you know it's going to happen, you're probably going to be looking forward to that. All right, three and a half years are up. You guys ready? Got popcorn? Let's... Now, we understand we're going to be heartbroken for anybody who loses their life. I'm saying this more as an inner... We know this is coming. This is an event. They're going to have it on cable networks, so probably DVD eventually. But we have the principle here. First of all, we should be controlled by God's Spirit. Not by my might, not by my power, but by God's Spirit. And so should you. That God's work must be done by His Spirit. He's the one that empowers it. As a secondary thing, we need to be careful about what we do with God's messenger because it is God's message, not the messenger's. He is just the messenger boy. We need to be, take heed of what God's message says. You say, well, that's good information to have. What else can I do with this? Pray for your preacher. Because believe it or not, people do not like my message. In fact, I have a file on my computer. I usually don't say this out loud, but oh well. It's one of those days. I have a file on my computer that's a folder called death threats. And I just keep a pile on it. You will be surprised how many preachers have to have security travel with them because of the threats. I heard of a preacher once. In fact, a lot of preachers have a bulletproof pulpit. There was a preacher once who people responded to an altar and one guy came and ushered him on, and as the preacher uh, brought him here and says, how can I pray for you? The guy shoved a gun 
into his chest. And he said, I came here with the intention of shooting you. But after hearing this message, I want you to take this gun and I would like to accept Christ as my Savior. And the preacher gladly took the gun, gave it to his security and opened the Bible and showed the guy how to get saved. You understand, we could trust God's power. We don't have to be live in fear. We could trust that God would work. But just in case you never knew and lived in a place of innocence, there are many times that preachers are not looked upon fondly and that people are sideways with the preacher. And it's not because they're mad at the preacher they have a message that they're not willing to turn over to God. This allows you to pray for people and let you know where they are at. But pray for your preacher to pray for wisdom, to pray for encouragement. You know, if you know that you're getting threatened all the time, and preachers do from time to time, it has to take God's spirit to continue on, knowing that people are not going to like what you have to say. Pray for your preacher. And then pray for him to stay in God's word, because without God's spirit, it now becomes my plan, my power, my ideas, and that's guaranteed to make things turn awful. If I preach a message even like this in my own spirit, it will turn out awful. We must have God's spirit. I have to be plugged into the Lord. I have to be walking with God myself. Otherwise, it becomes my message. And then everything else changes. It no longer works. So, something to look forward to when you get to heaven. And I hope that you start praying for your preacher faithfully and regularly because he needs it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.